You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Welcome to Big Noon Sports, featuring Lars Anderson, New York Times bestselling author of 12 books and a 20-year veteran of Sports Illustrated, and Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality. Here's Lars and Matt. Look bad, um, and you just have these decisions that are being made so quickly you know, it looked like the Pac-12 was going to be safe until it was announced that uh, they're going to have this streaming deal with Apple. And uh, I think that sort of freaked a lot of the athletic directors and presidents out. And they needed a, a, just looked at the raw numbers, right? The amount of money coming in was going to be drastically uh, less than the money that is flowing into the SEC, in the, in the, in the, or the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12. And um, so we're still waiting for the next domino to fall. And that's the four teams left in the Pac-12. But also, I think we need to start looking at the ACC. What do those teams start to do? Um, We've already heard from Florida State that they want out. And you know that the first team that bolts, it's going to do the exact same thing that happened in the Pac-12. First team that leaves the ACC, it's going to have a cascading effect. And everybody is just going to try to, uh, you know, get to another get to another life raft, basically. And that is the, the Big Ten in the SEC. That's where everybody wants to be. Lars, and I'm not trying to throw any uh, shade on Hollywood, but then again, maybe I am. But when they announced that George Klaikoff was going to be the new commissioner, he's an MGM guy, he's a Hollywood guy, he's a cinema guy. When they announced him, did, did one of your eyebrows raise or not? I mean, yeah. I, I just went, I went, this, this makes no sense at all. Uh, go hire the associate commissioner from the Big Ten or something like that. But it seems like ever since they made that hire, the Pac-12 has been falling and falling. Spiraling downward. Yeah, I mean, you just you, you look at his career, and um, you know, essentially, he was uh, in. Uh, been, he's been in. Uh, he was a lawyer for a long time. Uh, he joined Major League Baseball as an executive vice president uh, in 2003. Um, he became the chief digital officer at NBC Universal. He uh, then went to Hulu and then to Hearst Communications. And then he became uh, CEO of a virtual reality content studio. So what does this have to do with college football? I don't know. The only mark on there that impresses me is that he worked with baseball. Yeah. Uh, But uh, it it, it makes little sense, Lars. Yeah. And it's sad because you're right. Oregon, Oregon State, to that part of the country, that's huge. What about the Apple Bowl? Washington, Washington State. You know, Arizona, Arizona State's not a shabby rivalry in its own right. But uh, it's. I was just thinking about this when you brought it up at the top of the hour, Lars. How difficult it is to maintain rivalries when the school is not in your conference. Well, now conferences are getting so big, it's going to be difficult to maintain them anyway. But the only one, there are two that I can immediately name 
that have withheld the stand of time, and that's Georgia, Georgia Tech, and South Carolina Clemson. Yeah. Off the top of your head, and I know, I mean, I am literally throwing you a fastball with no warning, but y'all think about it listening right now to Big Noon Sports. Call in if you've got another one, uh, 205-342-9904, because uh, now the conference is getting so big, it's going to be hard to keep the ones that are existing, much less the, the two that I just mentioned. Yeah, and um, just going back to the Pac-12 for one second. Sure. You know, it, the, the conference really was gutted. The future of it was gutted when USC and UCLA announced that they were going to depart to the Big Ten Conference. And, um, and, and ever since then, it's like there has been fissions and fractures, right, within the Pac-12. And then, you know, Colorado leaves. Uh, and after Colorado announced that they were going, that was when uh, Kalikoff, um, he basically, he came out uh, just on August 1, so what, five, six days ago. And that's when he announced that incentive-based deal with Apple with guaranteed payments of around $20 million per school. And that is less than 10, it's, it's $10 million less than the Big 12's deal, right? And so he got so much negative feedback. But when he was hired, when Kalikoff was hired, uh, the University of Oregon president, uh, Michael Schill, who is the head of the search committee, he described him as, quote, the new prototype for a sports commissioner. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, again, it was it's a deal with Apple, I think, that was ultimately the... Uh, the, the last straw for um, several of the teams. And uh, and sadly, it's going to be the the ultimate sort of, you know, the, the final act of, uh, of the Big 12, or sorry, the Pac-12 conference. I guess the Mountain West will come in and then the other four will probably go there. And then the yep. ACC, I'm telling you, you're looking at, uh, what's that game that they always play on Big Bang Theory, Jenga? You know, yeah. that, that game where you pull the blocks out? I think that's what's going to happen here. Florida State's going to lead the charge. And I think right after that's going to be Clemson. I think North Carolina, uh, Virginia. Uh, and, and it's just going to keep going and going and going. Lars, there are a couple of things that really mark that uh, the college football season is here. Uh, first, I think we all kind of mark SEC media days. We've had that. Then there are the, the, you know, the report, like last Wednesday, Alabama and Auburn. Uh, Newcomb, transfers, they all, they all showed up in Tuscaloosa at Auburn. But another one is I really like to look at preseason polls. You know what they mean? Nada. (laughs) They really don't. But when the coaches vote, I kind of pay attention. First, before we get into the details of the coaches poll that was released this morning, how many of, uh, let's see, how many in 50 coaches Let's see, it's actually 61, 65. There are 66 votes, I think. Of the 66 votes, how many do you think the coaches actually did? Of uh, 66 head coaches? Maybe zero. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I, I just don't think they have time. Do they time. check off? 
they don't have time or inclination to do any research. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they check off. The, the, but their uh, sports information director or their, their right-hand man or woman uh, will compile the list. And, you know, and, I, and for the preseason, I mean, you know, you're doing it with a blindfold on, basically. And so I do know that I've talked to SIDs who do this for preseason polls is they look at what the magazines are saying, right? The, the different, different they media outlets. Yeah, they, they, they literally do. They go to Lindy Davis. I'm not, I'm say, not, okay, they go to, they got? go to Lindy's, they go to <laughs> Phil Steele. I mean, they, uh, you, other than it, obviously Georgia, you got to put Georgia number one and they are number one for the second consecutive year uh, to begin the season and um, deservedly so. Until proven otherwise, Georgia should be lodged at number one. Um, and I think, you know, every coach in America would, would basically agree with that. I think Georgia received nearly all the first place votes. Um, but I, I was a little surprised uh, to see Michigan come in at number two. And I know that Michigan, they've beaten Ohio State two years running. Um, and this is the highest that Michigan has ever been ranked in um, in the uh, preseason coaches poll. Um, and uh, but you know they just they haven't looked great in the college football playoffs. They've the last two years they've they've lost uh, in the college football semifinals each time. And the question with them is, can Michigan and Jim Harbaugh clear that next hurdle? But I wouldn't go writing Ohio State off by any uh, by any degree in the Big Ten because, you know, Ohio State, yes, they have a question at quarterback and, and Michigan doesn't. But, um, yeah, so a little surprised by that. I thought Alabama may come in at number two, but instead Alabama's at three, Ohio State's at four, LSU's at five. Anything in the top five surprise you, Matt? Not really, except I think I would have flip-flopped Ohio State and Michigan. Um, not really sure why, because Michigan does have the returning veteran quarterback. Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia are all, all looking at first-year starters. But uh, I definitely agree that Georgia should be number one. So do 61 of the 66 votes. Alabama got four first-place votes, and Ohio State got one. We'll go into greater detail about the coaches' poll. And several other things are certainly on our radar. Bottom of the hour. Uh, those of you that have been keeping up with football in this state and the SEC going to remember this name, David Rocker. Man, he's a part of those continuous, unbelievable defensive lines that Pat Dye put together. Got in touch with him over the weekend. He's going to join us at the bottom of the hour. And then Steve Irvine will talk the Associated the College Football Top 25 and Joe Webb's boxing debut. You're listening to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, 
Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A mix of sun and clouds this afternoon, scattered showers and strong thunderstorms around through tonight. The high today, 94. Tonight's low, 74. Tomorrow, cloudy at times with a few passing showers or a thunderstorm. Storms during the day, the high 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 94 degrees in Tuscaloosa. It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar. Sports Talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. It is indeed Big Noon Sports. Matt, Lars, Justin, let's check in with you for a minute. How are things back uh, there at the Tide Studios in Tuscaloosa, Alabama? Did you have a good weekend? Well, you know, Matt, other than the little gremlins that are constantly running around the studio. <laughs> they um, attack you every morning, don't they? Yeah, it's a battle over here. But other than that, everything's going good. What Did were you have your, a chance to go? Uh, yep, go ahead, Matt. No, I just wanted what. You know, it was fan slash media day, and they didn't, not exactly like they opened up the game plan for Texas. But uh, did you, or do you know of people that went over there and watched Alabama um, at Bryant Denny? I did not. Um, I I was out um, playing golf this weekend, so I, I saw. Excused. Yeah, <laughs> I kept up with everybody else that was there, especially the guys from Tide. Uh, I know Ryan Fowler was there, Gary Harris. So I I, I got my news update from them uh, this morning. Yeah. Um, is there a general feeling among the people you've talked to about uh, the quarterback battle and, and what uh, everyone witnessed uh, this uh, this weekend? You know, I think everybody expected to learn something at the practice, but I, I think we may have like forgot things <laughs> more so. I've seen so many different takes on, oh, well, Ty Simpson was better or Milrow was better. <laughs> and so... I think we're, we're still as lost as we were before the open practice. I think it was really just good for, I think, more importantly, the autographs after and letting the fans interact with some of the new players and get that kind of feel, especially for, like, Tyler Buckner, who's only been here a couple weeks and is finally getting to interact with the fan base. I think it was good. But as far as who's going to start at quarterback, I don't think we've made any progress on that stage. No, I agree. I mean, it's just uh, you got to be there day in and day out, and um, none of us are. Uh, It's going to be a a body of work type of thing, not just uh, one single practice. And I did think uh, some of Tommy Reese's comments were very interesting about um, his sort of philosophy going into this. And and I, I think it's a philosophy that he carries with him. It's that he is trying to get all the quarterbacks. Um, I mean, and not just the, th- the, not just the three who we're starting about, but, but uh, guys like Dylan Lonergan and, and everyone in that quarterback room to, to view, uh, to view success as by one individual, as a group success, as a shared success. And, and, and take it as a, 
individually take it as motivation to get better, work harder, and you know uh, the the phrase is uh, rising tide lifts all boats, right? And that, I think that applies here. Uh, and really, he's just trying to you know uh, again foster healthy competition and i've just i've never really heard it put that way matt and uh i I just thought it was a very um refreshing uh to hear that from a coach and uh, i know you always want that and you want this uh almost communal atmosphere in uh in the different position group rooms and it, it certainly sounds like tommy reese is is doing that it's creating that matt well, he's a younger guy. I, I think that, you know, he's innovative, but he's old school, if that makes any sense at all. It makes perfect sense to me. How about you? Uh, yeah. But I, I like the fact that, uh, you know, once the beginning of the year and once at the end of the year, we get to hear from position coaches. Because as you well know, Lars, in our many years of covering college football, that's where you get the information. Uh-huh. And the fact that they're off base, you know, they're, you know, that's the way coaches do it. That's the way all schools do it now. But, uh, you know, back in the day, couldn't you, uh, like, pull over Dabo or when he was at Alabama? Or uh, I could oh, go yeah. over and I could talk to Mike DuBose when he was coaching for Stallings. Uh, I missed that part of it because that's where you got a lot of the information. But uh, speaking of, uh, you know, old school, new school, that's where you're going with the coordinators now. Very interested to see what Tommy Reese does. And then don't you pretty much think that it's just a question of who's going to be where and what defense they're going to run because you kind of know what you're going to get with Kevin Steele, don't you? Yeah, I I think if there is one big takeaway from just everything that uh, we saw this weekend uh, from Alabama is that the defense is going to be terrorizing opposing offenses. This defense has a chance to be like 2011 good. Right. Like I I just uh, you don't see really any weaknesses on this defense, especially if they can find a a corner to go opposite Kool-Aid. And I think that they obviously have the the guys on on the roster to uh, to to fill that and be more than capable there. But just the, the, the speed, the the tenacity um, it, it, it appears that everyone is on the same page. And I've talked to so many players over the years who have played for Kevin Steele. And Kevin Steele, is a, he's a no-nonsense football guy, right? I mean, he is just all about ball, all about it. And, uh, and he, he, he wants you to be as mentally tough as, phys- as, as, as you are physically tough. And, uh, you know, he, he, he absolutely will. Um, he'll, he'll put you on the bench if you, if you make the same mistake twice. And, uh, and so I, I, I just I really liked everything about the defense, Matt. I mean, I just think that, uh, that the identity of this team, and this was reinforced by what we saw, the identity of this team is going to be old school Saban. Uh, it's going to be turning the clock back a little bit, and you're going to be you're going to rely on. It's going to be a defensive led team with an offense that is uh, going to be uh, run the ball first, establish the run, get those safeties to creep up, and then try to hit them over. Try to hit the uh, defense over the top, right? And um, and certainly the, there's so much talent in that running back room, and uh, I think it's as 
potentially as deep as it's been in a while. You can't save of, of, of the entire Saban era because those running the running backs that have come out of Alabama in the last ten years is just phenomenal. Same with the wide receivers. But um, we're, is that kind of how you took away things from uh, you know analyzing uh, everything you've read and, and saw? from this weekend that it's going to be, again, a defensive-led team, and on offense it's going to be more ball control than we've seen in years past. I think it's going to, you're going to go back to the, uh, the first days of when A.J. McCarron was a quarterback, and they played it very close to the vest, and they had great running backs, an outstanding offensive line. They played back to their defense. I yeah. think that's the way it is going. I think that's why he hired Tommy Reese. I think that's why certainly he's concerned. I think he just knows he's got to get a quarterback manager. That's it. And and he's going to take it from there. Uh, the only... Yeah. Um, hey, Ty, can you hear me? Hey, Lars, we still got you. It looks like we okay. Matt, might have just dropped out. Okay, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, I think what, what, I think the... The the AJ McCarron uh, mention by Matt is, is spot on because um, this feels like it's going like it was when a- AJ uh, took over the starting position at Alabama, and uh, and again it's going to be a little more uh, conservative just because you don't have a Heisman Trophy caliber or a first round uh, draft pick uh, necessarily in that quarterback room right now. Um, I still think it's ultimately going to be Ty Simpson, but uh, we'll just have to uh, wait and see how that all plays out. All right, uh, we'll get Matt uh, re-hooked up here, and uh, we will be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. 
Call Haley on her cell. Yes, her cell. 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. Hey, Lars, uh, what do you think about the actions of Florida State University? Are they out of the gate too early? Are they forcing everyone's hand? Are they saving up their money so they can get into the SEC and make more? Um, Their stance has been the most aggressive I've seen in all of the conference realignment. Yeah, it really is... um it's really something that uh, that that Florida State officials would come out and say essentially that they don't believe in the ACC anymore, and uh, and they you know they they're looking to to get out um, by any means necessary, and so uh, the AC the rest of the ACC teams obviously not real happy with Florida State. Um, and it all goes back to, again, like when Florida State President uh, Richard McCullough, he was talking to the Board of Trustees last Wednesday and uh, it was uh, it was on it was on uh, it was live streamed on YouTube and more than 2000 people were watching, including right officials from the ACC office and schools across the league. And, and that's when McCullough told the board that Florida State would, quote, very seriously, unquote, consider leaving the ACC unless there is a radical change to the conference's revenue distribution model. Um, and then and the backlash from that was uh, immediate, right? Uh, the other the other teams are are just saying that uh, that Florida State's trying to strong arm uh, the the presidents to change their minds on this revenue distribution that they have in the ACC. And um, you know, it seems like uh, uh, was this uh, just a Florida State trying to uh, exert its own leverage? Um, and uh, and just being out front about it, but uh, it, it really does seem that this should have been that something that was handled behind closed doors and, yeah. and not in in a public way, and it really. Uh, I think was uh, a damaging, not just a damaging PR hit. I mean, who cares about PR, right? Who cares? That, that is not obviously really what, they what, don't. <laughs> well, that doesn't really matter. But I think it's it's no. just it's a bigger hit to the the credibility and long term viability of the ACC, and um, you know, uh, especially now, like if the Big Ten. Uh, you know, they're at 18 teams. What's going to prevent them to go into 20? I mean, if you can get Florida State, by all means, get Florida State and get uh, North Carolina. I'm, I'm hearing from my people uh, in, the, in the Midwest that North Carolina is the team that Big Ten is zeroed in on right now. That um, if there is one ACC team to sort of begin an exodus uh, and they and, and try to, I think Big Ten officials would 
like it would be a preemptive strike against the SEC because you know that the North Carolina offers a lot, right? With the, it's a great academic. I'm, I'm curious about the love for North Carolina. I want Lars Anderson <laughs> to be the board of trustees for the Tar Heels and tell me why you are so valuable to the Big Ten, the SEC, or anyone else. I think it's the marquee number one basketball program in the country, or you could make that argument. Certainly it's the top four. And it's a, an amazing academic institution. Um, the, the football program has had uh, some flashes here and there. And um, I just uh, I, I think that if uh, the Big Ten wants to make inroads into the the South, I think North Carolina would be a, a great start. And then uh, if you could pluck Florida State as well, um, then uh, if that were to happen, I think you would see other ACC teams just uh, or ACC institutions, excuse me, uh, trying to. Uh, trying to get out of Dodge as, as quickly as possible, trying to latch on with another conference. And the key date here is August 15th, because that is the deadline for any conference member of the ACC to give notice of plans to leave the conference within a year, right? And so right now, I think everyone is wondering, all right, is Florida, is this a big bluff by Florida State? to try to, again, get, uh, try to have influence over reshaping the revenue distribution model of the conference? Or is Florida State actually, is there, you know, uh, some meat to this threat that they're making to leave? Um, and I would say, if you are going to say that you will do this, and if the conference doesn't respond to you, then you, you better make good on that. Otherwise, it's just, you know, the, the crying wolf syndrome. And, uh, and, and we'll see. But I, these, the fact that these comments he made were scripted and thought out is stunning to me. Like it, this wasn't, you know, at a news conference where you're asked, you're kind of blindsided by a question and you're talking out of the side of your mouth and you haven't really thought things through. No, this was this was calculated. Uh, it was written out. And uh, and so Richard McCullough, um, I think all eyes are on him, the Florida State president, and to see if he is going to back that up and and try to uh, get his school into a new conference. And if he does uh, within the next week or so, that could signal, I think, uh, troubled times ahead for the ACC. David Rocker is on hold. We'll go to him after this break. Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world-class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. 
Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A mix of sun and clouds this afternoon, scattered showers and strong thunderstorms around through tonight. The high today, 94. Tonight's low, 74. Tomorrow, cloudy at times with a few passing showers or thunderstorms during the day. The high, 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 94 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Work is a part of all of us. Working drives us to push beyond what we thought was imaginable and allows us to come together again for the things that really matter. That's why the Alabama Department of Labor and the Alabama Career Center System is here to help you discover bigger opportunities than ever before. Visit your local career center or alabamaworks.alabama.gov. Funding provided by the USDOL, ETA, and Federal WIOA, an equal opportunity employer program. Auxiliary aids and services available upon request. Brought to you by this station and the Alabama Broadcasters Association. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Welcome back to the show. I'm Matt Coulter, along with longtime sports writer Martin. All right, the gremlins have hit us again. Uh, uh, joining us now is uh, David Rocker, uh, former Auburn Tiger, and who played uh, several years in the NFL. David, how are you doing today? It's Lars Anderson here. Thanks for joining Big Noon Sports. Hey, so glad to have I'm enjoying it already. Just by the mere fact that you guys said from, I did not hear the first part of whatever town, but I did hear to the plane. <laughs> Well, David, how have you been? And, and uh, let let our listeners know what uh, what you've been up to lately. Oh man, um, I've been been doing great. Um, of course, some people say uh, I guess I would they would say what happened uh, traumatic change in life. But I'm I'm really doing my life purpose. Of course, uh, after retiring from the NFL. Um, I got into coaching. I coached high school football for several years, but now I'm I'm living my dream. I'm actually a full-time pastor here uh, just outside the Atlanta area. That's uh, terrific, terrific stuff. Um, I'd love just to start here by getting your opinion of Hugh Freeze. And uh, to me, uh, Hugh has done almost everything just the right way since being since being hired. Number one, retaining Cadillac Williams. Number two, Absolutely. being uh, very uh, authentic and transparent uh, at SEC Media Days. I just thought he, that his uh, his time uh, in uh, in front of the microphones there was uh, very very impressive. And then most important to Auburn fans is uh, just how well he has done recruiting in, uh, in going head-to-head with Georgia, going head-to-head with Alabama, yeah. and, and faring very well. Oh, absolutely. I'm very pleased with, uh, with Hugh Freeze. First of all, with the hire of Hugh Freeze because he fully understands the SEC culture. Let me say that. Um, the SEC will always be the number one conference to me when it comes to football, as far as hard no football. Hugh understands that, so I think he's going to be a perfect fit there at Auburn. And, of course, being able to come in before he even had this first season and being able to, what I call, have great wins in, uh, in recruiting has been awesome to flip a, uh, a huge, you know, 
four-star, five-star linebacker from Georgia now to have him coming down to the Plains. Um, that, that just to me shows um, Hughes' dedication and commitment before we even get to the season start kicked off. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to seeing what, what the team is going to look like this year. Oh, and when he was hired, was that something that you were fully supportive of? Like, because it was a little, there was a little controversy involved. Just again, him uh, yeah. being away from the SEC for six years, and uh, right. you know, doing his time at Liberty. Uh, I'm a right. huge believer in second chances, and uh, I really Absolutely. think uh, Hugh is going to make the most out of this. Right. I think one of the things fans are going to be fans. One thing I've learned from playing ball. When you're doing great, they love you. Let you make a mistake, they hate you. <laughs> so fans can be fickle. So once you learn that's just part of, that, that comes along with the sport, you you have to learn to adjust. And the thing is, you know, people can try to hang their on, on Hughes' path. Let's just, let me just define that. Hughes' path. Not looking at all of us. All of us have paths. I guarantee all of us can look at areas in our lives that we're not pleased with, we're not happy about. But, Life goes on, and we have to learn to let things go and move move forward. So uh, I think that's one of the things that I wish everyone would do when it comes to Hugh Freeze. To me, Hugh is a great guy. Um, all of us are flawed men in some form or fashion. We have to learn to get past that and stop hanging our heads, hanging our heads on stuff that's in the past. And let's look at right now. So right now, Hugh has done an excellent job recruiting. Right now, the, mor- the morale is high. Uh, on the planes right now everyone is looking forward to big things and looking forward to the season kicking off with, with Auburn doing some great things so let's focus on the now and let's leave the past David Rockers our guest on Big Noon Sports Matt Coulter along with Lars Anderson uh, David uh, has Georgia yeah. elevated themselves to the absolute top of the game the SEC are, are they a shade above Alabama now yeah, you have to just look at it. You know, always let's look at the body of work. And right now, over the past two years, and you have to understand, I'm a fan of Georgia. I'll just be honest. With you. I'm not a fan of But when you start looking at the guys who are at the top, right now, Georgia has uh, has came out champion two two years in a row. With that being said, with looking at that body of work, yes, absolutely. They're at the top of the game, and you can't take anything away from them in that area. Hey, I'm an older guy, David. You know that, and I love to take trips mm-hmm. down memory lane. And I was at yeah. Auburn once or twice a week throughout the entire Let's 80s. Go. And yesterday, yeah. yesterday, actually Saturday, I was flipping around the SEC network, and it was the 86 Cotton Bowl, which you didn't play. You hadn't gotten to Auburn yet. But I was just watching nope. back there. It was, golly, y'all had so many unbelievable defensive lineman. What started yes. that trend? Was it Wayne Hall and Pat Dye? They just put such focus on that position? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, Wayne Hall and Coach Dye uh, focused on having great defense line. My hat's off to Coach Hall. I will always admire him. He, um, he, he made sure he got the best out of you. And when you start looking back, even at that 86, let's keep going back. You look at the guys, the, um, the Doug Smith, the, the um, you. The Donnie Humphreys. These are the guys who laid the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the guys that laid the foundation for so many guys to come up um, behind them. So even though I came in in 87, I fully understood uh, the legends that had gone before me, just like you said, a Harold Holmes, 
uh, Donnie Humphreys, the Doug, Doug Smith, the Gerald Williams, the Gerald Robinson. So all these guys, Wayne Paul played a major, a major role in developing because, man, one thing that still sticks with me today is effort. That's the part that they say they can't coach, but that was, that was not an option. That was a demand that you were going to go full speed. Even if you went wrong, go full speed. <laughs> David, uh, as everyone knows, your older brother is Tracy Rocker. I'm curious yeah. as to what it was like in the Rocker household when you two were growing <laughs> up. <laughs> Did you guys have uh, some some battles in the backyard the or, 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 the, or the living room? Yeah, or even the kitchen. Listen, let me tell you something. You did make sure that you made your move and position yourself to get to the kitchen first. You know, one of those memories that I can remember so clearly was uh, my mom came and uh, she was picking me up from somewhere I was gone, but Tracy got home first and my mom had already cooked dinner and when she came in, she was looking for the chicken that she had cooked and it was gone because Tracy had literally ate the whole chicken. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, but it, it was really uh, good. Of course, Tracy and I can be a record. We were able to be roommate for two years. So it was like uh, home away from home. So uh, it made it easy. For, uh, for my mom and dad to come down and visit. They did not have to split, you know, split trying trying to go to two different schools. So it was really good for us just to have that time together. Tracy, tell me, I mean, David, excuse me, because you are distinctly two different guys, okay? My bad, my bad. Yeah. Uh, Trust, hey, listen. What, it's been me a, a lifetime, so I'm used to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I'm supposed to know better. I covered both of you, but anyway, uh, David, what, what, what cut above was Pat dying? Do you have a favorite memory? Something you you learned from him, or something funny? So I was always a big man. Fan gosh, of him. well, man, I mean, to go to gosh, Coach Dad was one of that guy. I mean. You had so much love and respect for him. I think one of the biggest things I remember about Coach Dye was, um, of course, the high demand of effort, which, of course, that, that flowed into the coaches. But um, I'll never forget one of those moments when Coach Dye came out of the tower, out of the tower, because um, practice wasn't going right. And I can remember him ripping on the coaches. And you're thinking, oh, man, this is a bad day. I mean, oh, gosh, we're halfway through practice, so I know we're just, he's just going to send us all in. Instead, he said, no, we're going to start practice back over. I'm talking about from the stretching, the whole <laughs> to, to make sure that we got it right. So that's when you start really understanding uh, the serious demand that uh, Coach Dye had in the sense of us being the very best football players. But you also had that side that was very personal to him in a way. By him being a personal man, uh, would come to all of our rooms the night before a game, and he would not just open the door and just one of those what's up guys let's be ready to go tomorrow I mean he would come over and sit on the bed and talk to you you know like really talk to you and that's that was one of those things that um, I really liked that um, it was having that, that that personal relationship with your head coach right? I don't know whether a lot of guys get to, get to have that especially during that time you know the coach kind of stayed so distant but uh, he was very personal very very relatable and that's one of those things that I that I loved about him and one of the things about Coach Dye that really tripped me out was his love for Japanese maples. And man, he get into digging a you know a hole for this Japanese maple thing. It's like, 
okay, this is different. This is different. And then they'll add a green thumb. Yeah. So, so yeah, but great guy. Great guy. Love him. Um, so right now with these current Alabama and Auburn teams, a, a parallel is that they are, uh, each of them searching for a new quarterback and you have a quarterback mm-hmm. competition going on at each school. And Nick Saban frequently says, uh, the quarterback who emerges is the one who wins the team as a former player. Uh, I'm assuming that you uh, saw different quarterback battles play out through your career in high school and college and in the NFL. How how does a quarterback win the team? I mean, is there is it is it just by performing, or is there, are there some intangibles that go into it? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things. Of course, performance is always it because you want the best guy out there on the field. Because when it when it gets thick out there, you want to make sure that the best guy's that controls. But also, you want that leadership perspective of when he speaks, it carries some weight. And that's one of those things. Whether you're on defense, it does make a difference. But when your quarterback says something, you kind of take heed because he's that. You know, you have the head coach, but to me, after that, that the quarterback is that subconscious uh, on the field leader even though he may not be on your side of the ball so it plays a great deal on making sure that he's the top performer and you you want to have a sense that he's really locked in that he wants to win not just hey I'm the quarterback and look at me but no 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 he really has the concern for the entire team um, being able to perform on both sides of the ball and what does Peyton Thorne Right, coming in from Michigan State, where he was very successful, uh, I think you could make the argument that he was the best quarterback in the country in the transfer portal. And I think the reason he came to Auburn was because of Hugh Freeze. Um, how difficult is it for somebody coming in from the outside? Right, uh, he's the the new kid in school, so to speak, to right. you know establish that rapport with your new teammates. Well. It can be difficult. It can be difficult. I would say starting out because the thing about the SEC is it's about performance. You know, you, you we don't care where you came from or what you were doing in Penn State. Now that you're in in the SEC, I think that's one of those things in a sense of how can you handle yourself here. And I would say, as far as his situation, he 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 came at a great time because a lot of stuff is still unanswered. Um, again, Coach Freeze being familiar with the SEC, but it's getting back to that, what I call that that old Auburn culture. Cadillac did an excellent job of introducing that back to how we play and to play full speed. So as long as that quarterback can come in and understand the, the demand and down to see how he, we have to wait and see how he performs when he plays against other SEC teams to make sure um, that, he, that he's still billed as one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Former Auburn defensive lineman, L.A. Ram, David Rockers, our guest on Big Noon Sports. Uh, not to go too deep on the chart here, but uh, what are you hearing at running back, particularly since uh, Hunter is, I guess his position is still kind of up in the air? Yeah, well, it's one of those things. Everything is, is wide open right now, and that's not a surprise to me. I mean, so often we try to really get things locked in and how and who's going to be where. Again, I have to keep going back. You can have 
turn people in third spots. But until you go out there and you get into game, you know, game number two, game number three, that's when you start kind of seeing the dust settle on who needs to be the guy, you know, because you can have a guy who can go through camp and look good because he's playing against his own guy. But when you start playing against, I say, calling that stranger, that, that, that those guys who you're unfamiliar with, that's where we're going to find out what, what's in your heart, what you're truly made out of, especially when you start playing against other teams in the SEC. And what, are, what are your thoughts just on uh, this crazy conference realignment going on right now? I mean, we're, we're just, it seems like by the day, we're losing rivalries that have existed for uh, nearly yeah. a century. Um, and and I think uh, Eli Drinkowitz, uh, the uh, Missouri's head coach, really made a great point about saying, "Okay, wh- wh- why don't we just keep like the, the, the why don't the, we keep the players in mind the, the, and ask them about what we are putting them through, and uh, yeah. you know, trying to regulate uh, uh, them going into the transfer portal? Well, now you have entire universities going into the transfer portal. Yeah." Just your your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I feel like it's one of those things sometimes when when you really start feeling like, is it me getting old? Because you look back at certain things to me that I feel like that are staples. As you start saying, when you start looking at rivalries that's been around for centuries, you don't go touch those. You you leave those alone because you have people who grow up as, as young boys who are looking forward to playing in that rivalry. So when you start touching things like that, to me, you're taking away those things that people can't looking. You're looking forward to sharing those stories with your grandkids. And like you say, you get into this thing of realigning stuff. And to me, it's just, it's taking away that, that love of rivalry. You know, <laughs> that, that with all this realignment that, that tends to get taken away. Hey, before we let you go, couple of rapid follow mm-hmm. questions. How's Kumar doing? Your nephew is with the Rangers right now, and they have just traded right. to get a big-time roster, and the Rangers right. may challenge for postseason. Right. Well, well, you know, Kumar's dealing with an injury, um, but he, he's in good spirits, and, and he's taking in stride. He's a hard worker. Those are rockers. We're used to injuries. And so, uh, once again, it's just being able to get through your rehab and uh, – Hopefully, he'll be able to be back out there doing what he what he loves doing. Give me a favorite. Uh, this is unfair, especially at the end of the interview. But uh, do you have a favorite moment, a favorite victory when you were uh, wearing the orange and blue? Oh, listen. Oh, well, here's one. Let me say this. This is what I love. For my four years at Auburn, I never lost to Georgia, so I don't even know how that feels. That that. I don't, I don't know that. And you're from Atlanta. So, so that's big time. <laughs> yeah. So, so I definitely love love that feeling. And, of course, being able to, uh, of course, when we talk, just like we, as we talked about Reese, being able to be in that class of uh, being able to beat Bama three years in a row. Of course, lost to Bama uh, my last year. But being able to beat Bama for three years straight, being able to be a part of that inaugural game, that was played in 89 with with Alabama coming to Auburn, that right there would be a memory I will always cherish. Never forget looking out on Monday and seeing uh, the parking lot at the Coliseum already filled with RVs. Being able to, you had to squeeze our way 
on Tiger Walk. It wasn't just walking down the street and the street was clear, but it was really like walk, walking a single file line to the stadium. Man, that was just a huge memory that, I, that I'll never forget. So to just be a part of that, that inaugural thing taking place that I know Coach Dye had worked so long uh, for to get Alabama to come to Auburn. Hopefully us being able to come out with a win. That is just a big time for me. Great stuff, David. Thank you. Hey, can we do this again in a month or so? Man, let's do it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking right. forward to it. <laughs> like, likewise. Thank you, David. Have a great afternoon. Thank you, guys. All right, you, you guys take care now. You too. Bye-bye. David Rocker from Auburn and the Rams back in uh, Atlanta. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. It's top of the hour. It's 1 o'clock. It's halftime. This show is presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. WTUG HD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. A Town Square Media Station. One man to beat. You can forget about it. Touchdown, Alabama. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Welcome back into Big Noon Sports. Of course, we're battling all sorts of issues, just like usually <laughs> here in the Tide Studios. Um, while Matt and Lars are getting reconnected, I'm going to go ahead and play uh, some audio that we had from Media Day as well as the open practice um, from Alabama football yesterday where we finally got to hear from our coordinators, Kevin Steele and Tommy Reese, um, which gave us some insight into what's been going on with the quarterbacks, with our running backs, with all of the position battles that's are taking place so far um, in the spring. So let's listen in to uh, what Tommy Reese has to say on the uh, the quarterback room, the tight ends, as well as some of the uh, the running backs. Yeah, I think they've both improved greatly from the spring. You know, I think there's been an extra buy-in, you know, since spring ball ended and just doing more and doing extra to get themselves prepared you know, I think it shows, first of all, a great amount of character, a great amount of competitiveness for those two guys. But it also shows a love for their teammates and a love for being here. And, and honestly, it speaks volumes about the program that guys want to stay here. And so I think it's really special that, you know, in this age of college football, especially at the quarterback position when guys are so eager to leave, that two guys looked at an opportunity to stay here, to care about their teammates, to continue to improve. And you know, ultimately, we're trying to build as healthy of a room as we can. And they understood that competition can bring out the best in them. And, you know, they've been great, you know, the entire process, you know, throughout. And, you know, I don't expect that to change. Hey, uh, Coach, uh, repping three quarterbacks, uh, I know there's five out there, but when you're looking at three guys for the uh, competition, how hard is that when you're having to split it in thirds rather than in 50% or uh, in the challenges? Yeah, I mean, there are some challenges. Um, we practice in a way that there are 
you know, plenty of opportunities and reps for all those guys to get. You know, I think it would, the thing I'm fortunate for is our quarterbacks understand it and they, you know, don't have any egos and they're, you know, we're, we're trying to tell them, Hey, when you're in there, you're the guy and we want you to own those opportunities, own those reps. And so they've bought into that. They've been supportive of one another, you know, Eli and Dylan are still getting plenty of reps. We're really repping five guys right now, which is, you know, probably really rare to go across the country, probably nowhere in the country is repping five guys. But the way we practice, the way we give our guys opportunities, it allows for that to happen. And our players have bought into it. And, um, you know, we have had opportunities to give them, you know, longer chunks of plays to get them into a rhythm. Sometimes it's a little choppier, but, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, we're mixing up how we're rotating. We're mixing up the different periods that guys get so that they're exposed to different situational football and, um, Again, our players have made it easy for me because they've been receptive to it and they just want to make the most of every opportunity they've had. Yeah, I mean, um, look, when he went into the portal and, you know, we looked at an opportunity to add competition to the room. Um, you know, I think competition at all positions is going to bring out the best in individuals. It's going to add, you know, an extra layer of development. It's going to allow people to rise, you know, with with the competition. And I think one thing we're trying to get the whole quarterback group to understand is, when one guy has success, first of all, we need to look at it as shared success. We need to look at it as the group. Like we want to leave practice saying the quarterback position, the quarterback group had a good day. You know, the other thing we want to see is when one quarterback has success, it's going to challenge the rest of the group, rest of the group. And when we can do that, it's going to raise the level of play in the room. And so we don't want to look at it and shy away from it. We want to look at it as an opportunity to improve the group, improve the entire group. You know, to answer your question probably more directly, I, you know, Ty's a guy I recruited at a young age. Obviously spent two seasons with him. You know, I think, you know, he provides a little bit of a veteran presence in the room and adds some competition. And, you know, I think he's hit the ground running with the rest of the guys on the team, you know, especially with the rest of the quarterbacks. And it's been really a healthy transition. Tommy Reed, Alabama's offensive coordinator at the Mike Saturday after Alabama had their, uh, their practice slash fan day. Pretty interesting stuff. And, and, one of the things that I've noticed immediately in, in listening to what limited time we've been able to talk with Tommy Reese is just, man, that guy doesn't sound like he's 31. Uh, he has matured quickly. Keep in mind now, this guy was on the team that Alabama beat badly down in Miami for the national championship game. So, uh, I mean, he's like, literally, I think he may be 30 or just turned 31. So his maturity is there. And it certainly shows, and I love what he said about winning as a group with the Alabama quarterback. Uh, they have success. Everybody has success. And, and I think that's something that has been pretty much present uh, over the years that Saban has been there. Although the last couple of years, honestly, it didn't need to be there because Bryce was just cut above everybody in college football. So uh, good to hear from Reese and Kevin Steele as well as they address the media over the weekend. The Associated Press Top 25 is out. And to no one's surprise, I'm kind of surprised that five other votes, I think four went to Alabama, one went to Ohio State. But Georgia got 61 of them. They are followed by Michigan. And then it is uh, Alabama's at number three, followed by Ohio State and then LSU. So do the one, two, three out of five from the Southeastern Conference. Large, the nation knows where Brian Kelly is. 
<laughs> yes. Um, I, and I, I don't know uh, when I dropped off there, but I do think that the uh, the sports information directors who cast the bo- votes for the, their coaches, they got it right. I, I think that Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, and Ohio State have separated themselves from uh, the rest of uh, the country when it comes just to uh, um, where the programs are. And uh, LSU, uh, Southern Cal at six, Penn State at seven. I think that is kind of the the next tier. Uh, And I think all three of those programs have uh, an excellent shot to win a national championship. And then you have Florida State, Clemson, Tennessee, Washington at 11, Texas at 12. Uh, you know that Texas uh, will shoot up the rankings if they can uh, come into Bryant-Denny and upset Alabama in week two. Texas is at 12, Notre Dame 13, Utah 14, Oregon 15, TCU at 16. little surprise that TCU is down that low the, given the fact that they played in the national championship game this year. And then you have Kansas State 17, Oregon State um, which is really remarkable. Oregon State is at 18. Oregon State has been a program that has been terrible for a long time, but they came on last year and uh, they are heading in the right direction. Oklahoma, they're coming off a few down seasons under Brent Venerables. I think this is a huge year for him. Uh, whether or not he can uh, survive long-term in Norman, he has to have a good year this year. I, this is a crucial year. Uh, and Oklahoma's at 19. North Carolina is at 20. You have Wisconsin at 21. Uh, Ole Miss uh, with Lane Kiffin at 22. Tulane at 23. Um, that's interesting that Tulane crept into the top 25. And then rounding out the top 25, you have Texas Tech at 24. And then A&M at 25. Matt, is there uh, anything just sort of big picture wise that uh, surprises you about uh, where the teams are stacked in this uh, first poll that is released by the coaches for the 2023 season? I shouldn't be surprised that three of the top five, as I just mentioned, are out of the SEC. How many total? Six or seven out of the Southeastern Conference? It's it's six, and that's uh, more than any other conference. And and, um, also the the fact that Alabama is going to be playing five teams in the preseason top 25 on their – uh, 12 game regular season schedule. They have number five LSU, number 10 Tennessee, number 12 Texas, number 22 Ole Miss, and number 25 AM. But Matt, it sets up well for Alabama because all of these games except AM will be played in Bryant Denny Stadium. So I think, um, you know, overall, it, it looks like uh, this seems doesn't seem off to me. There's nothing too shocking about. Uh, about how this stacks up uh um yeah again matt i mean anything anything uh that leaps out at you yeah i actually uh i'm gonna need to ask you a question because i think maybe people listening can understand this we're we're getting rolling blackouts over here and uh it just this raising hell with all of my systems here and every time you think you can answer the system it's got to have wi-fi too so anyway, not going to go into my trials and troubles here. What I wanted to ask you is take a quick look. 
how many of the teams that are ranked in the top 25 will no longer be in the conference they're in now? Well, that's a good question. All right, you got uh, USC uh, at six, which is going to go from Pac-12 to Big Ten. You have Florida State at eight, threatening to leave the ACC. Uh, You have Washington at 11, that is going to be moving to the Big Ten. You have Texas at 12, going from uh, Big 12 to SEC. Uh, You have, uh, let's see, Oregon at 15, which is going to be on the move to the Big Ten. Uh, You have uh, Oregon State at 18. They're still in the Pac-12, but they won't be in the Pac-12 for long. Why? Because the Pac-12 is not going to exist for very long. Uh, You have Oklahoma at 19, moving from uh, Big 12 to SEC. And then you have uh that's that's it so about uh i don't know how many i just listed there but it's, it's almost over a, a third or, yeah yeah so th- that just underscores that's a great point and a great question it just underscores the upheaval in college football and and how the landscape is shifting beneath our feet as we speak and i still believe that uh you know, my my thoughts on this have evolved. Uh, I now think that there's ultimately going to be two conferences uh, that will survive, and it's going to be the uh, the Big Ten and the SEC, and uh, it's going to be like a AFC NFC type of format with maybe 30 schools in each conference, and then each conference will be split into maybe three divisions, four divisions, and uh, and that will be what college football will look like moving forward probably by, I don't know, 2027, 20, 2028, somewhere in there. Uh, but uh, that certainly seems to be where we are headed, Matt. And it seems like just a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the possibility of five, then it went to four, then it went to three, and now it's probably going to be to two. And my initial impression is I don't like it, but it's like a bowling, you know, the big boulder coming down the hill, and that can't stop it. When we get back, we'll talk to Steve Irvine about boxing Saturday night and his thoughts on the coach's poll. You're listening to Big Ben Sports, presented by Haley Fan singing the home mortgage. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker 
who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Look Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A mix of sun and clouds this afternoon, scattered showers and strong thunderstorms around through tonight. The high today, 94. Tonight's low, 74. Tomorrow, cloudy at times with a few passing showers or thunderstorms during the day. The high, 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 94 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Back on Big Sports, Matt Coulter along with uh, our producer, Justin Jones, and of course, Lars Anderson as well. Steve Irvine will join us in just a minute. He was at the Joe Webb boxing match Saturday night. At Bartow, we'll get his report and his thoughts on college football. I did want to take the opportunity while we catch our breath here, Lars, and get your thoughts on JT yesterday. Uh, his near chip in on 18, which I think would have gotten him into the FedEx, and then falling out on the ground. Uh, you know, he, this guy's very difficult not to just embrace in life. You know, I mean, he just showed his emotions right there. Yeah, he um, it, it uh, it's just been a rough, uh, basically a rough year for for Justin Thomas, former world number one, and uh, and on Sunday he needed to get into the top seventy uh, to make the uh, FedEx Cup playoffs, and he had the, had this furious charge up the leaderboard late at the at the Wyndham Championship, and uh, he uh, ultimately finished 71st. Uh, that is one outside of the playoff cut line, um, and he uh, he came into the week ranked 79th in the FedEx standings, and he needed to finish 15th or better uh, to reach that 70th threshold. And he started the tournament. He didn't play that poorly, but uh, 70, uh, shot a 70 the first round, 65 the second round, 66 third round. And uh, entering entering Sunday, he was just sort of right on the edge of that uh of the 70th position coming to the par 5 15th at Wyndham and he uh he uh eagled the hole and that put him right on the bubble at 70 uh and then he uh he bogeyed 16 parred 17 on the 18th he needed a birdie to hold on to his spot and uh and he hit a as a par 4 hit a wayward um drive it went really left really far left and then uh he uh had this amazing shot where he went around a tree it gets it to the fringe or about i don't know 40 maybe 30 yards out for 30 yards to the hole a great chip it hits the pin and just lips out that's how close he was to making the playoffs and after that after the 
he just missed it, missed holding out by inches. Uh, he collapsed to the turf in agony, and and he just um, he really was. Uh, you could just tell he was very upset by that. And not only that, it, it doesn't look like uh, he did enough to earn a captain's pick for the Ryder Cup team. Yeah. Um, he and Zach Johnson, who's the captain, he has several weeks to decide on his six picks, the captain's picks. But I, I just can't imagine that uh, JT is is going to make that. Um, but you know what? Like it, it, it will give it will give Justin something to really uh, focus on and work on in the off season. I I believe in Justin Thomas, and I do think this is going to be a redemptive story. I think he will come back and play very well next year. Um, I don't know what you can do to build your confidence up uh, after it's been torn to shreds the way that uh, Justin's has. Uh, golf is such a mental game, but you know, I think he'll 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 work it out in some form or fashion, whether it's with uh, you know working with sports psychologists, and I'm sure he is, um, and just sort of rediscovering his swing, uh, just because you know Matt, he's just been off, and it happens to the best in the world. It happened in his prime. It happened to Tiger Woods. Remember, Tiger had to remake his swing. And he was constantly tinkering with his swing, even when he was at the peak of his powers. And I, I think you're going to have Justin do uh, a, a, an overhaul of his of his swing in the off season as well. Joining us now on Big Man Sports is Steve Irvine, a regular on our show. He has been covering sports in this state for many, many years. We'll just leave it at that. But, uh, Steve, how you doing? Tell us about Saturday night with Joe Webb's debut as a professional boxer. <laughs> well, uh, it's good talking to you guys again. Yeah, it's um, it was an interesting night. I mean, Joe, you know, Joe was, uh, you know, I felt like um, I felt like he seemed a little nervous coming out there, and 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 I, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know that he was because I talked to him the day before. I ran into him at you know UAB football practice and. He was he was just regular old Joe, you know. He was kind of laughing and you know just didn't seem nervous at all. But he seemed a little nervous, uh, you know, at first, which is understandable, you know. And uh, just um, fought well, you know, did did well, but you know didn't get the win. I mean, didn't get the loss either, which is good, I guess. You know, they got the majority draw, which I don't like. I'm not a big boxing guy, so I don't know how how often that happens, but. Yeah, I'll pick a winner. You know, one one way or the other. I felt, you know, Joe felt like he won. He he won, and it was close. I mean, he you know he, he knows it was close. He felt like he won, and I'm sure uh, Tyler King, uh, uh, Ryan, sorry, Ryan King, the, the guy you know person he fought, felt like he won. But uh, it was a great night. I think I really think it was a well well planned and well organized event at, at Bartow and. I do think that uh, that you'll have more events there. You know, obviously it wasn't the wilder, you know, uh, atmosphere, but it was a good atmosphere. Not a, not a huge crowd, but it was a good atmosphere. So it's a you know for Joe, it's a learning uh, you know a, a learning chance, and he'll go forward from there. Obviously, Joe played his uh, college football at UAB and then uh, played quarterback in the NFL for several years as a backup. Um, Did you get a chance to talk to him on why he decided to uh, go into boxing and uh, and and make the transition from uh, being a, a former NFL player to uh, to a boxer? And, um, you know, it, 
he bulked up for the fight. You can say that. He entered the ring at, at 240 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, with, with Joe, it was, it was the way that he got into it was just kind of really almost an accident type thing. He he went to work out with a, with a guy that was a friend of his, that, you know, another NFL player, and, uh, you know, and just just kind of liked it, you know. And, uh, you know, round one boxing in uh, in – in Hoover's where, where he trains and a guy named Dave Godber is his coach and, and Dave Godber was, uh, was, uh, Deontay Wilder's one of his coaches as an amateur and has been around a long time is more, is more with the amateur fighters, but he has some, some pro guys and just really started working with, with Dave Godber and just enjoyed it. And, and I, you know, I think, you know, uh, Joe, one thing about Joe is, you know, you don't have to know him long to see that he, he just loves to compete, you know, and, and he just, he just he just loves to compete, and and you know his his football career was was winding down, and he had an opportunity to do this, and he you know he fought a few a few uh, amateur fights. His first few amateur fights were just kind of fun, you know, like I just go in there and compete, and then realized that hey, this is you know I really well, I want to try this, and and so he just kind of kept doing it. We'll see how long. I don't know how long. You know, I mean he's thirty eight, uh, thirty, I think thirty seven years old. Uh, I think he's 37, but anyway, he, you know, he, he's at an age really that, um, you know, to, to start your career at that age is, is, is a little tough, but, uh, you know, we'll see. He's just going to ride it as long as he can ride it, he said, and, and uh, he's going to go from there. Steve Irvine, Irvine is our guest here on Big Man Sports. Steve, just literally since we've talked last, the conference realignment, scattering and joining and disjoining has just absolutely gone crazy. So I, I, I don't think it's fair to ask you a general question about it, so I'm just going to ask you a pointed one. Where do you see Florida State in the next couple of years? Well, you know, that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think they should. I think they should try to get in the SEC. If you ask me, but you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, the one thing about Florida State that's that's, that's kind of strange is. To me, is obviously it's a big name and, and and you know it's had a lot of success, but you know I don't know that their budget is is SEC budget type thing. Now obviously you make more money in SEC, but but you know I don't know. You know they certainly won't be one of the high you know the top budget type programs there. So I don't know. I mean that, that's a, that's a hard one. And uh, but I tell you what, you're gonna have to figure it out quick because this thing moves so quick. That you know you don't you don't have a lot of time to sit there and think you sit around the table and go hey what should we do, uh, but I do think this too I do think that with all this movement is in a way it doesn't really matter to me because in two years or three years or whatever for the with the power you know the power conference or whatever you want to call it we're gonna have a change again so this this really to me is to get you a few through a few years till till they figure out you know, exactly what they're going to do with the power conference and from there. And we'll see. Lars brought this up earlier. I'll throw it your way because it seems that North Carolina is suddenly drawing a lot of attention. Big mm-hmm. Ken may be throwing overtures their way. It's always been mentioned as a possibility because of where it is to be in the SEC. Let me ask you to pull out your crystal ball again. First of all, what is the huge value of North Carolina? And secondly, where do you think they're going to be in two years? I know this is not fair. I, you know, I, I, the value. I mean, obviously, is just tradition, traditional value with 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 them with their. I mean, you know, obviously basketball. You know, 
this is obviously a football-driven uh, situation. You know, I mean, you know, I, you know, the uh, I was thinking about it earlier. You know, the basketball is important to, in, in in a lot of ways, but really, it's football-driven. And and so, you know, what value does does North Carolina bring you as a as a consistent football program? I, you know, I'm not sure. You know, uh, I don't know that, uh, and and I don't know why I say this, but I don't know that they really fit in the SEC. I, to me, they fit a little better. Uh, just as a program, I'm not talking about where they're at, but as a program, they, to me, they fit a little better in the Big Ten. I, I just uh, that's just kind of sort of the sense I get from them. But but uh, you know, I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see. They're, they're interesting because you know, obviously, they bring you you know immediate credibility in in, in your basketball side, which is which is important. But again, it's not driven by that. But uh, I don't know. They're, they're, again, they're 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 another one that, that sort of you, you sort of wonder where they fit. Yeah, um, there's just uh, everything is so cloudy right now, and it's it's hard to see through the clouds of where we will be in three, four, five years. And um, I, I just mentioned this a, a little bit ago, Steve, that that my thinking on this has evolved over the last two weeks or weeks or so. I really thought that we would have end up with three big conferences uh, and it was going to be a, who that third conference would be. We know the Big Ten and the SEC, they're, they're going to be here for the long haul. Was that third conference of major uh, for major sports and, and major college football, was it going to be the Big 12 or the ACC? Now I'm thinking that it may just be two conferences, uh, Big Ten and SEC, and the, you will have maybe 30 to 35 teams in each conference, and each conference will end up being split into four, three or four divisions, and it will look like a sort of a, a bigger version of the NFL. Um, what with the AFC and the NFC? Again, going back to your crystal ball, and nobody knows the answer to this question, not even the top administrators in the college administrators, not even Greg Sankey uh, or anyone in the Big Ten. But where do you think we'll be in five years or so? Uh, are, 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 do you believe in the – think we'll be, have a two-conference model or do you think uh, the, the Big 12 and the ACC can, can somehow survive? Well, yeah, I think they can survive, uh, but I do think I agree with you. I do think it's going to be a uh, you know if it's if it's split up into two, if it's split up into four, well, however it's split up, it's going to be thirty-five to forty to fifty, whatever, whatever the number is, as, as being you know again the power world, and everybody else is you know is on is on their own, and they'll figure you know figure out something from there, but. I, I again, I, I really think a lot of this is just buying time till they figure out how to do that because I think that's where we're headed. I thought I thought that's where we're headed for a long time, but you, you got to figure out a way to do it. And I think this this you know they'll kind of settle on something now and then and then figure out a way you know how, how ultimately figure out a way to to whether you're going to go two conferences, whether you're going to go four, whether you're going to go. 30 or 35 or go 60 or, you know, just to, to depending on where, you know, depending on how much money you want to share, you know, with, with others or how greedy you want to be basically is what it comes down. In my opinion, that's what it comes down to. But uh, it's just buying time till they can figure out a way to do that. Steve, it's always great catching up with you. Thanks very much. 
we'll do it again in another week. And uh, have you got any announcement for us yet, or are we still pending? Man, we're getting close. We're getting close on a couple things, and uh, and so hopefully, hopefully, it will be real soon. Well, you're more than welcome to broadcast that on this show whenever you want to. Thank you so much, uh, Steve. I appreciate you guys. All right, absolutely. All right, bye-bye. Steve Irvine, longtime sports writer here. Spent a lot of time out on the West Coast. Lars, when we get back, want to talk about U.S. women's soccer. Oh, I don't really know if I want to do that or not. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Appreciate her contributions to the show. Also, want to get a shout out to uh, right down there on Six Downtown Tuscaloosa, and say hey to Reagan of R and R Cigars because uh, it's a great place to hang out anytime during the football season, which we know is now. It's a great place to go get a nice glass of bourbon and a great cigar and enjoy your afternoon or evening. So keep that in mind when you're making your social plans for the weekend. It's Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Justin Jones. Lars, just want to ask you flat out. Do you do you want to get into the uh, United States women's soccer deal? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I'm a big uh, soccer person, uh, played college soccer, Division three, and uh, have really grown to admire the, uh, the women's soccer team. But, uh, you know, something has just been off with uh, the women's team this entire World Cup, and um, they were eliminated uh in in in, in penal, by penalty kicks uh, uh by uh in the round of 16 uh, uh by Sweden and it was the first time that the US women's national team exited in the round of 16 in history uh so um you know uh you definitely can classify this team as a uh, as as a as a failure to live up to expectations and uh and, and a lot of criticism is being directed at Megan Rapino, uh, who uh, missed a penalty kick. Uh, and, uh, you know, she's one of the all-time greats. And uh, this was her last uh, World Cup. And, um, uh, and she's retiring. 
uh, and she's been very outspoken on various issues. Uh, she has kneeled uh, in protest of, uh, of uh, you know, various issues that we really don't need to get into too deeply. But I, I don't like all of the backlash coming on Megan right now. Um, I think it's wildly inappropriate of a former president to um, to uh, be very critical of her. Why? But, um, why? Why? She, I, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I think it's. Up for the flag. She, she's uh, You know, Lars. Here, let me let me make a point. Okay, since we're going to go into this, so you're employed by Sports Illustrated, right? They compensate you, correct? Uh, well, I was. No, yeah. I'm just. I'm giving you a for instance. Uh, big name sports, whatever the case may be. Uh, suppose you just stand up and thumb your nose at the very people that are paying you. Are you going to keep that job very long? Well, if um, my employer would listen to me and I would explain that I love this country as much as anyone and I'm doing it to make a point. Like that. I, I, I know. I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, well, yeah. Anyway, uh, we don't need to to go down this path. Um, but yeah, uh, just a, a dis- disappointing all around. And um, in you know, uh, I, I think there's a lot of issues with this uh, women's women's World Cup team with the national team right now. Um, and uh, I think they need to kind of find their identity, go back to the basics. And uh, for a team that I still believe is the most talented in the world to struggle so much in uh, in opening round play. And then uh, they did actually play better uh, in against Sweden uh, in the game that they ultimately lost. Uh, but um, yeah. It's uh, it's a team that has been polarizing. Obviously, uh, <laughs> no more evidence of that than uh, what we are just discussing. But um, yeah, just a disappointing all all around, and uh, and you know people have very strong feelings, obviously, about Megan uh, Rapino, uh, and uh, well, you know she's she's exiting the the stage now, and uh, and. There'll be a, 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 a sort of a new generation that will be uh, sort of taking over the leadership reins of this uh, Women's World Cup team. I'll say this in closing, but uh, I really, really felt bad uh, or, or my heart went out to the girls that played on that team and did show all the respect to their country. Because here they are standing, everybody else is kneeling around them, and that's just be it their right to kneel. Yes, they have that. But boy, it sure does put those girls in a very, very awkward situation. And one that I think should have totally been avoided. And I, you have to wonder if what was happening off the field carried on the field because they certainly, they barely made the, the next round. Yeah, I, no, I, that's very... That's a very fair point, Matt. Uh, th- th- there is just so much off the field distraction, um, and I, I agree. Like uh, this, this team became politicized, and uh, and you have various players doing different things, making different comments, and uh, you know, regardless of of how you believe, if it, if it's appropriate or not appropriate. Um, one thing is certain that it became a distraction. 
I mean, th this team had no business playing as poorly as they did in all three of the of the first round matches. They were lucky to get out of the first round, for goodness sakes. I mean, it, it just uh, uh, and and then again, not 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 playing their best against Sweden. Uh, I think Sweden will likely go on and win the Women's World Cup. But um, yeah, I think we've probably given enough oxygen to this topic. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's it, it's it's unfortunate that it has become political. Uh, and, uh, and again, uh, it clearly had a effect on this team. You're, you're a hundred percent right. Uh, I will say this about Megan, uh, in closing here, when she missed her penalty kick and started laughing, she got blown up on social media. Yeah. Folks, I mean, I can't ever, clarify if that. Ever, like if you've she, ever competed in sports and made a huge gap like that, you're not laughing. You're crying on the inside, and that is just what you show on your face. Inside, your heart stops beating. So I don't hold anything against her for smiling then because it was a smile of disgust. Yeah. Uh, what she, she did explain herself. She said, in all the times I've missed or I haven't uh, converted on a penalty kick, the keeper, the goalkeeper, has uh, made a stop. And she claimed that this is the first time in her career that she just airmailed. I mean, it, it wasn't even close. Uh, in it's for someone as accomplished as her to uh, have a shot like that that just absolutely disguise over the net, and you, you didn't even put it on goal um, and force the Swedish goaltender to uh, make a stop is it's it's a. In, in the sports metaphor, in the sports world, in soccer world, it's an unforgivable sin. And the fact that she did this, this was her last moment on the stage, right? She, her career is done. And I, I, I know this won't overshadow everything she has done on the field, just strictly on the field. This won't overshadow that, but a horrible way to go out. And she was basically just like, you got to be kidding me. Like she, she couldn't believe yeah. she did it herself. I agree. The reaction was t horrible, horrible. It, 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 it was like she didn't care. It, 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 it was a bad. It was a, it was a bad look. It was a bad look. Um, I, I that certainly wouldn't have been my reaction, uh, knowing that uh, you, you at that moment that you may have cost your team a chance to win the World Cup. But um, yeah, it. it, it uh, everything went wrong. Everything, everything so, went wrong. <laughs> yeah. You're, you are so right. In fact, the bad chance to win three in a row. But uh, that's not going to happen. We'll be, be back here for the final 15 minutes of Big Ben Sports in this moment. Stay tuned.
Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. I am a 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. A mix of sun and clouds this afternoon, scattered showers and strong thunderstorms around through tonight. The high today, 94. Tonight's low, 74. Tomorrow, cloudy at times with a few passing showers or thunderstorms during the day. The high, 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 96 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Good Zoo on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. I think obviously that's a week to week decision a little bit with how we're trying to attack a team and what the theme of that you know game plan would be. Um, you know, again, I think our tight ends are, are plenty talented enough here right now to feature them in some things. But again, we have a deep receiver room that's talented as well. So that blend of, you know, how can we be you know, still a physical brand of football with the personnel we have on the field, but also understand that, you know, we have some wideouts that can really break games open. And so, you know, again, as a staff, the blend of personnel and the way we use it and the way we can keep a defense off balance by looking different play to play is something that, you know, we want to have, you know, at our disposal. And so, you know, I think we have tight ends that can do a lot of different things for us. You know, we have plenty of wideouts that can go make plays and put them in position to be successful. And, you know, we were fortunate in Notre Dame to have good tight ends, but I don't really see it any different, you know, with the group we have here. Tommy Reeves, Alabama's new offensive coordinator, as he addressed the media. So did Kevin Steele this past Saturday, following their light brief practice and uh, fan day, which is uh, always interesting to see a number of people that show up. And uh, really cool situation. Lars, you and I were over there the other day and uh, drove around the old Bryant Denny Stadium. Uh, brought up some good memories for me. Uh, yeah, hey, and that um, that new grass at Bryant Denny looks great. Um, it's going to be uh, really cool uh, to uh, see it uh, when Alabama opens the season. But um, yeah, so and Tommy Reese. Uh, on Sunday, that was the the first time he's talked to the media since arriving at Alabama, and he also spent quite a bit of time um, explaining why he wanted uh, 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 Tyler Buckner, uh, or excuse me, Buckner, to um, uh, to 
come to Alabama, right, to get him out of the transfer portal. And what Tommy said was that he's, he's known Buckner since he recruited him out of high school. Uh, and the two spent two years together at Notre Dame. And, and now that Tommy Reese, uh, is, he's in charge of the offense, uh, and he was at Alabama, and he was in charge of the offense last season at Notre Dame, um, that uh, he just wanted somebody that he was familiar with, that he knows, he knows Tyler Buckner's character. Um, he knows just what uh, a, a gutty player he was. And got to remember that Buckner was named the starter at the beginning of last season at Notre Dame and then got injured a few games into the into the season. And uh, he returned for the bowl game against South Carolina and uh, just lit it up. He threw uh, for nearly 300 yards and three touchdowns. And I know there were some interceptions in there, but they weren't necessarily his fault. And um, I think, uh, you know, Tommy Reese, he just uh, he wanted more competition in that room. And uh, obviously Nick Saban signed off on it. And um, and so now you have have, basically you have five quarterbacks going after it. You have Reese and uh, excuse me, you have Buckner, uh, Jalen Milrow. Uh, Ty Simpson, and then uh, the those are the three that we all think have a chance. But I'm hearing I'm hearing really good things about Dylan Lonergan, uh, uh, to the one of the two true freshmen in the room, along with Eli Holstein, uh, and all of them are getting reps at, at practice. I'm not saying that one of the true freshmen is are going to win the win the um, job but uh, again Dylan Lonergan just that's a name to remember uh, and uh, this from what I've heard is that he just he's looking like the part he, he looks like a guy who could uh, absolutely one day uh, take the reins um, I'm still I'm still rolling with Ty Simpson but uh, you know that's just a, a, a guess um, I have heard from also from some other folks uh, who are familiar with the situation that um, uh, that Jalen Milrow has spent a lot of time on his throwing mechanics and that his accuracy has improved. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised by anything at this point, Matt. Uh, there are different everybody seems to have a, an opinion of who it could should be or will be but the fact is none of us know um and i i mean reporters who i really trust they'll tell me that oh it's absolutely going to be buckner 100 percent buckner and then <laughs> other people are 100 uh, percent milrow and, and people like myself that believe it's going to be simpson um but here's here's one thing i was thinking about uh, and a question that has uh, obviously not uh, ain't been answered, but do you think deep down that Nick Saban already knows who, who it's going to be? I don't. I really don't. And I'll just turn around. That's a flat no. What's your flat answer? Or is, are you still in the grudge? I don't know. Uh, I think he probably has uh, inclination of who it's going to be. Uh, and I obviously don't know who that is, but uh, I think he, just based on what he's seen at practice, but there are just some guys who absolutely come alive on game day. They're just different players on game day than they are at practice. 
And you've seen, we've seen that re- repeatedly, not just at Alabama, but at other programs as well. And so I don't think he, yeah, you're, I, I, I do think having Western Michigan first is great because you can give all three uh, uh, middle Tennessee State. Just uh, excuse me, excuse, excuse me. Yeah, Middle okay. Tennessee State. Yeah, yeah, my bad. Um, you can give all three quality reps in the game and just see how it goes. And then I, I would be surprised if we only see one quarterback against Texas. I think you'll see we'll see at least two. And uh, but I don't know. It's all speculation. Um, but I'm with you. I, I don't think. Coach Saban has a clear uh, picture of who it's going to be at this moment, um, but uh, something inside me says that he has a again an inclination of uh, which player is going to emerge. Well, we're all very anxious to see how this plays out. Uh, we talk about not talking about it, and then we bring it back up again. But it's valid. I mean, the whole world, wants to know, at least the United States college football world, wants to know. And- uh, we'll find out probably who distinguishes themselves uh, against Texas. Hey, a, a couple of breaking news items here. A fight broke out this morning at the LSU practice. They were doing 11 on 11. Uh, Malik Neighbors and Kyron Lacey got sent to the locker room. Harold Perkins didn't play another snap. Brian Kelly was not happy. Now, Bars, you've seen this. You may have even been involved. Fights happen at football in practice. They they do, and it's it's not like it's a rare occurrence. But apparently, this was huge. Guys were flying all over the place on the ground. Punches are being thrown everywhere. You know, you you love that spirit, but in this case, Brian Kelly said it absolutely got out of control. Yeah, um, you you like the intensity. Uh, and you, you like uh, the fact that uh, you got guys who really care about it and and all that, but uh, you also have to be smart as a player, and you can't let your emotions get the best of you and uh, do something that could cause a, a division in the locker room between offensive guys, defensive players. Um, and the fact that Kelly has gone out of his way to mention that this was uh, this went over the line, that tells you that it went over the line. Like, I, yeah. it, 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 what it says to me is that there is a deeper underlying issue between the players involved, and uh, that could be something that uh, worth keeping an eye on moving forward. But uh, hey, Brian Kelly, this is not his first rodeo. I, I think he he'll know exactly how to handle it. But uh, yeah, I mean, usually these fights are relatively innocuous because uh, don't take your helmet off. Rule number one, <laughs> and, uh, and rule number two is don't punch a guy with a helmet on. Uh, so um, yeah, uh, hopefully for Fair LSU, up. it means nothing in the long run. There are far too many other ways to get hurt. Don't break your fist on somebody's helmet. Also, exactly. this just in from Michigan. Chris Butcher won the uh, Firekeepers Casino 400, which was rain delayed just finished up a few minutes ago. He's won two in a row. Man, rain has raised you know what with NASCAR this year. Lars, let's do it again in 22 hours. You've been listening to Big News Sports. Brought to you by Haley Sansing. You know more than